Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news and wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly, another continuing point of discussion, climate change. When will it be too hot to grow Cabernet Sauvignon successfully? More on canned wine. Is it here to stay? Diageo sued in Scotland for fungal damage caused by evaporation during whiskey maturation. And as ever, our wine of the week. Let's begin with a quick recap of our week in wine, Katie. And you were in Washington once again. What brought you there? That's right. I was in Seattle and Woodenville for the auction of Washington wines. So uh, the private barrel auction took place on Thursday, and they raised about $300,000 for the Enology program at Washington State University. So I think it was a success. Excellent. And what's your feel about the um, market for premium wines in Washington? Well, I'm finding out as I am actively promoting one, and I think that there is a hunger in the market for, you know, wines that are, I mean, you see Leonetti, you see Casilda Creek, and those are wines that demand very high prices, and I, I think that there is a growing customer base in the trade and then obviously the end consumer. As I've mentioned before, I like Washington wine a lot. And it's interesting to see where it's going because it's quite a dynamic industry there. Yes, and when you see the accounts, you know, the restaurants, you see a lot of Napa wine, a lot of uh, Bordeaux. So there's, you know, people want to spend that kind of money for for wines like that. So I think Washington and they want to support local wines. So we'll see. Yeah, let's let's keep um, our eyes peeled. We're currently in Lodi sitting on our hotel balcony which is why you may hear some background noise this is a live outdoor recording and this is our first time well, it's my first time to Lodi you were here a couple of weeks ago weren't you mm. and um, it's an interesting area very historic going back to the 19th century uh, but one that's not been particularly fashionable known for big powerful red wines but it's reinventing itself and I went to a winery yesterday called Bokic, and they um, started planting in the 1990s with Spanish varieties, and they were the first to plant Spanish varieties here. And they definitely see that as the future, and their wines are extremely good. And great varieties like Garnacha, Monastrel, Albarino clearly work very well in this warm climate. So Lodi is another area to watch out for. That's great, Matthew. Thank you for sharing. Now for the news. <laughs> Dan Petrosky, a winemaker in Napa, California. Famous for uh, Lachmead Winery and Massacan, his own label. Yeah, his own label is really, really good. He only makes white wines, really interesting. And um, he was writing on 750.com this week about climate change, predicting that it's going to be too, too hot in Napa for Cabernet Sauvignon in 30 years' time. He argued it's essential to pay attention to data to monitor the changes in temperature in order to be able to adapt. Not only that, he reasoned that every winery should chart their own contributions to climate change by tracking greenhouse emissions and lowering their carbon footprint accordingly. He cited Kendall Jackson, who are a large global producer based in California, as evidence of how effectively to reduce emissions. Water usage is down 36% over the last four years in Kendall Jackson's properties, and they aim to be 50% solar-powered by 2020. So he argued that at some length about this and how how important it is to monitor um, carbon footprints and lower it. Um, have you seen any other news about this, Katie? 
Well, yeah, I saw it was picked up um, by the San Francisco Chronicle. So Esther Mobley uh, did a piece on it. And then I think Napa Valley Wine Academy sent it out in their newsletter. They did a, a Q&A with Dan about, uh, based off of this article he wrote, this op-ed. Um, so, you know, it seems to be a piece of news that people are running with, but it's not really new news. I mean, this is a topic that's been discussed in, uh, time and time again. Yes, I've heard this argument before. Um, ben Lewin is an MW who has argued that Napa Valley will not be able to grow Cabernet Sauvignon within 20 years. So he's even more alarmist than Dan is. And um, a lot of wineries are planning for a life without Cabernet Sauvignon in Napa, either by moving elsewhere, going further northwards, even into Oregon, or um, maybe not planning, planting Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, what would they plant instead? In my opinion, I think Rhone varieties are perfectly suited to the to Napa and California. That's not an opinion, Matthew. That's a fact. So another topic that's been in the news quite a bit in recent months and recent years, really, is canned wine. So Robert L. Williams Jr. made the case for canned wine at a recent event in Yontville in Napa Valley, the Wines and Vines Packaging Conference, uh, which I attended. He stated that the figures showed a marked expansion for canned wine. In June 2018, there were 125 winemakers producing 350 SKUs of wine in cans in 18 different states and 13 different countries, while a year later, there were 375 winemakers producing 1,000 different SKUs of wine in cans in 28 states and 28 different countries. Research also showed that consumers prefer cans in a 250 milliliter size, a format only 50% of producers provide. So this goes back to what we discussed a couple weeks ago. Um, we had, I mentioned, you know, a, a buyer in Chicago was talking about how cans were a supplier-driven uh, phenomenon and not a consumer-driven phenomenon. So do you think, Matthew, that uh, suppliers are now heeding what consumers are actually demanding? Well, it's an expanding category. It's very early days. And um, these figures show that there is a demand, even if that demand has been created for canned wine, but it's still a very small uh, market. There's just a thousand SKUs around the world. So I still think that um, suppliers are really trying to create this demand rather than reacting. Well, I think it's good we got the size down at least. I mean, it was getting a little all over the place, so maybe they could standardize that. Yeah, they definitely should. And some producers um, make cans in 375 milliliter size, and that's just it's too big. It's half a bottle of wine, and people don't realize that when they're drinking from a can. So the smaller, the better. <laughs> So we're going to move away from wine, because we love wine, but we like other drinks as well. That's right. And if you're ever in Seattle and you want a good cocktail bar, you need to go to Liberty Bar. It's fantastic. The cocktails are exquisite. We love cocktails and we love whiskey as well, but um, not everything about whiskey is positive. And there's been a bit of a development in Scotland, because a couple in Bonnybridge in Scotland are suing Diageo, which is one of the biggest uh, producers in the world, claiming that ethanol evaporating from a nearby distillery has caused fungal damage to their house. They claim the fungus is widespread throughout the town and has caused £40,000 worth of damage to their home, which they have to clean yearly because of the dark mould that forms around the building. Diageo deny the claim, of course, 
stating that the fungus causes minimal damage and can barely be seen. So Casey, this doesn't sound very pleasant. Dark fungus forming around the house. Uh, have you had any experience with this? Funny you should ask, Matthew. I do. I actually have a couple of family members that are in the mold removal business, and it's a serious thing, and I've I've seen it have very negative effects on people living with black mold. So I can understand that the this couple are seeking some compensation for those damages. Yes, and Diageo's denial was um, a little wishy-washy, saying that... Um, it's minimal damage and can barely be seen. That seems like they're actually acknowledging that it is a fact. Well, and 40000 for Diageo seems like pennies. And our wine of the week is a wine that Katie tried this week. I did not get to try it. quite jealous. What was it, Katie? Well, it was from a producer that uh, both of us know and love, uh, Savage Grace. So Michael Savage is the winemaker, and we've been uh, together to visit him at the tasting room in Woodenville on a couple of occasions. Yeah, he's a great guy, um, fantastic wines, and they're improving year by year. Really a producer to look out for. Right, and he continued to surprise me with this wine. Uh, It was a 2018 Blanc Franc from Red Willow Vineyard. So it's 100% Cabernet Franc, and the grapes are whole cluster direct pressed after a a brief foot stomping and maceration in the press, and then racked to stainless steel for fermentation. Um, So no color to this wine. It was a beautiful uh, lemon hue, um, beautiful bouquet of um, just citrus fruits and kind of herbal. Um, But in past vintages, this wine has been made as a rosé. But um, this year, for the 2018, he felt he wanted to make a wine with no manipulation of color and, you know, really... um, preserve that acidity um, because I think the Cabernet Franc grape kind of loses its acidity uh, quickly as it as it ripens in this particular site. Sounds fascinating. A white wine made from a black grape and also from Red Willow Vineyard which is one of the best vineyards in Washington. So expensive fruit. So um, a lot of bit of money to experiment with that. Um, Could you tell it is from a black grape? No, quite frankly I couldn't. Fascinating. Really love to try this wine. This Cabernet Franc in itself is a great wine. Um, I'd really love to try this white wine. Maybe next time I'm in Washington. Yes, and he has a new uh, winery in Underwood, right? In southern Washington. Yeah, Columbia Gorge, right on the Oregon border. Yeah, so we got to get up there to visit and encourage everyone out there to try some of his wines if you haven't. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gorn. Join us next week for the Wind Up. See you next time.